Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com. We just had him on a few weeks ago. We're going to have him on again. We are in the midst of Major League Baseball playoffs, World Series on the horizon. We're going to talk TV ratings. We're going to talk really poor umpiring. We're going to talk about will we see replay? Probably not this year, but next year. The umpiring has been so bad. Will we see replay next year? And we'll talk about a few other Major League Baseball topics. That's coming up in segment three with Maury Brown. In segment four, SportsSense, Christopher Mike. He's the general manager of sports marketing for Rocket XL. It's an agency focused on social media marketing. Chris and his team help brands navigate the intersection of sports and social media. Chris has held several senior-level marketing positions with Nike Golf, EA Sports, Converse, and ESPN. He's going to join us in studio. We rarely have in-studio guests, but he's going to join us in studio. We'll look forward to that. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link on the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. SB Radio is my Twitter handle. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and our esteemed co-host, Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, boy, it looks like the NBA referees, the real ones, are going to be back on the job. We had Lamel McMorris, the head of the union, on a few weeks ago. He had some very sharp critical comments for NBA Commissioner David Stern, but it looks like they're going to get things worked out. No, that's good. I think that you need the experienced professionals on the court. You know, when you have subs in there, that's when people start to really question the calls as if they don't already enough. The other thing we'll talk about coming up in headlines, the governator, Arnold, he made a big decision this week, and it might lead to us seeing NFL football in Los Angeles, but will it come at the expense of one of the other California NFL cities. We'll talk about that. That's coming up next in Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the NBA's locked out referees. They're on the verge of a return to work. The season starts its upcoming week, Nathan. And we had Lamel McMorris, the leader of the NBA Referees Union, on this show just a few weeks ago. And as I said in the first segment, some sharp words for Commissioner Stern, but it seems like common sense has prevailed here. The preseason has been very ugly with the officiating, lots of complaints from coaches, from players, and it looks like they're going to get this done and be ready to go on Tuesday. Oh, yeah, like I said in uh, the first segment, they had to get this deal done. You're getting complaints from players, you're getting complaints from coaches, and especially from fans. I mean, how often as fans do we complain about the officiating? This would be a disaster if they couldn't get it done before the season actually started. Well, and I think the biggest complaint going into the season would have been in the preseason, the average length of game was like half an hour longer. So it was so choppy because there were all these fouls being called, and when fans go to a game, they want to see basketball played they don't want to see guys parading to the line all night well and you lose consistency right. too throughout the entire season right so oh and uh grant hill who like never gets thrown out of a game got two quick tees the other night and got thrown out so when you're throwing grant hill out of a game in the preseason you know you got a little bit of an issue our next headline could we see the return of nfl football to los angeles the city took a big step in that direction this week when governor Arnold Schwarzenegger signed a bill granting final approval to an NFL stadium proposal in the city of industry. This allows Majestic Realty chairman and CEO Ed Roski to proceed with his $800 million project as soon as the law takes effect. This is courtesy of the San Gabriel Valley Tribune. Nathan, this is interesting. I'm someone who doesn't think that Los Angeles needs NFL football because there's so many other things going on, but... At this point in time, it can provide about 12,000 additional jobs. But I think the governor opened up Pandora's box here. And I say that because you've got several other teams in the state of California who have old stadiums who want new homes. You've got the Chargers who want out of San Diego. You've got San Francisco, and you've got the Raiders. They all play in old stadiums. Now they're going to see, well, this bill was passed through A, is someone going to move to Los Angeles? The Chargers seem to be the most likely candidate for that. And B, are these other cities now going to say, hey, Governor, you know, you approve this in Los Angeles, approve it in our city as well? See, and I'm one of those people who thinks that football should be in L.A. It's the second biggest market in the country. It should be back in L.A., but I don't know that right now is the right time for football to be back in L.A. The state is bankrupt. I know it'll provide more jobs, but the fact of the matter is there's no money right now in L.A., and I think uh, the governor should focus on some of the economic issues and not football in L.A. Well, you're probably not the only person who would be saying that. Majestic Realty officials claim they have fielded more than 3,000 requests to reserve the 176 luxury suites and almost 80,000 for the 12,500 club seats. So there definitely is the demand for tickets down in Los Angeles for pro football, but we'll see how this plays out. I mean, the key thing to keep in mind here is until a team has been secured, construction isn't going to really get underway. So they're not doing the, if you build it, we will come, $800 million stadium, and then hope you get a team. They're not going to really get moving with this construction until they know they have a team. 
So this could be an interesting offseason. I mean, we talk all the time, Jacksonville, not a healthy franchise. There's several franchises in the NFL that could be candidates for moving to Los Angeles. Well, and the fact of the matter is this. Even if this deal does get done, we're still looking at two, maybe three years before the move actually happens, I think. And by then, hopefully the economic situation will have changed a little bit. Our next headline, another case of a big fat cat getting even richer. Outgoing Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Director Donald Fear, our good friend, did such a great job during his tenure. Not. He's going to receive $11 million in compensation when he formally steps down from the union. This is according to a memo sent to Major League Baseball players cited by Amy Nelson of ESPN.com. The memo revealed that Fear is going to receive continued access to the union's files he's also going to keep an office fear earned a million dollars annually in gross salary from the major league baseball players association since 2001 this makes me sick i mean it's kind of like when you see you know the bank of america executive or someone you know who gets the the golden parachute package this is the golden parachute package and donald fear was the guy who presided over one of the ugliest eras in baseball history. Well, I'd like to take that $11 million and ask Bud Selig to step down. I'll give Bud Selig $11 million so that he steps down because, frankly, I'd rather have Bud Selig down than fear. Well, it's funny because some of the players justified this $11 million by saying, well, Bud Selig makes $18 million a year. So $11 million as the golden parachute package, oh, that's a bargain. I don't think so, again, especially when you have a guy who presided over one of the ugliest eras in baseball history. Our next headline, PepsiCo has signed on as the fourth and final cornerstone partner of the Giants and Jets' new Meadowlands Stadium. The multi-year partnership, which begins with the stadium's opening at the start of the 2010 season, includes exterior branding on the stadium's facade and signage throughout the concourse and in-stadium branding. So it looks like PepsiCo is going to have the exclusive pouring rights. Pepsi and Gatorade will continue to be the official soft drink and official sports drink, respectively, of the Giants and the Jets. PepsiCo is said to be in line with the other cornerstone sponsors, which are AB InBev, MetLife, and Verizon. Each one of them is paying an estimated $8 million per year. We talk a lot over the last year about sponsors not having money for golf events, for tennis events, for NBA and NFL sponsorships, but this is New York. This is a different market. That's how you can get four sponsors to pay $8 million a year to be your cornerstone sponsors. Well, not only that, but let's look at these sponsors. I mean, these are not banks and financial institutions like AIG. This is PepsiCo. This is Verizon. These are consumer goods that people are still using and purchasing. We're not seeing as many sponsorships coming from the big money holders like AIG. That is correct. Our last headline of the week Another huge sponsorship deal. This on the other coast, Los Angeles, Staples this week announced it is elected to extend its naming rights agreement for the AEG-owned Staples Center in Los Angeles. It was previously a 20-year naming rights deal. It's now going to be extended in perpetuity, marking the first time ever that a deal of this magnitude has been signed. I mean, usually, again, you have terms on a deal. They just said, hey— We're good as long as this building is here. Now, the deal that they previously agreed to to pay $116 million over 20 years for the naming rights, it was set to expire in 2019. 
So I'm not quite sure 10 years early why we're renegotiating a deal that's going to be going on till the end of time. But again, it shows that there are some companies out there that have money to spend on sports sponsorship. Well, they're trying to become the Wrigley Field of NBA basketball, clearly, because no matter what Wrigley gets renamed, it'll always be Wrigley Field. And in this case, if if it's still open and Staples isn't the sponsor, it'll always be the Staples Center. Well, it's an interesting deal for sure. Coming up in our next segment, Maury Brown with the bizofbaseball.com. We've got the World Series getting underway, Major League Baseball playoffs, lots of things to discuss there from TV ratings to umpires and the possible use of instant replay. We'll discuss that next with Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Maury Brown. He's with thebizofbaseball.com. He's joined us on this show many times before. Maury, thanks for making the time. Hey, Brian, it's always a pleasure. So we're in the midst of Major League Baseball playoffs, obviously. The Phillies are in. And as of this taping, uh, we're not sure about the Angels and Yankees. But uh, let's talk about the World Series matchup and the TV ratings to date. Let's start with the TV ratings. They've been up a little bit so far. Uh, I know TBS had a really good period with their ratings, right? Yeah, they have. I mean, things have been up, you know, pretty much double digits for them. And I think that that bodes well on a number of uh, sides. I mean, it shows that strong team brands and, and good, solid performances on the field. We had a number, a near record number of one-run games. I think we were... Uh, as of this taping, we're one one game short of tying an all-time record of, I believe, 13 one-run games in the postseason. Now, granted, we've had a few blowouts, but I think a lot of that is made for compelling baseball. We've had some great storylines. We've had storied franchises. It's, you know, worked well. And, you know, and the one thing, and we talked about this last time I was on the air with you, you know, the weather hasn't really come into play. There's been a lot of talk about how the postseason is bumped later into the calendar, but... You know, Bud Selig has to be thanking his lucky stars. Mother Nature hasn't gotten in the way for the most part. Well, so that's my next question. Let's assume for a moment, Angels fans, don't crucify me here, but let's assume it's Yankees and Phillies. Pretty regional matchup there. Obviously, teams that have uh, appeal outside of the boundaries of their cities, but cold weather cities, regional matchup, how does that translate for Fox? 
Well, I think that it's going to, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, they're going to certainly certainly going to play up two, you know, major storylines. And you're going to have the Phillies coming back as a back-to-back situation. And we haven't had that since the Yankees. So that is a, a compelling story. And I think that the team itself matches up really well with the Yankees. They're more of an American League-style team. They play with a lot of power. They have good, solid pitching. You know, I think it's going to be a, a – if it does come down to that, I think it's going to be a great matchup. Now, you do bring up a point that it's, you know, it is kind of a regional thing, but when you give, you know, you throw the Yankees into the mix and the fact that the Phillies were in the World Series last year, I think that, you know, will, will counter, you know, act the, the more regional aspect of it. You know, is it a perfect alignment? No. But I think it'll still, you know, resonate pretty well with fans. It's not the perfect thing. It's not the bums and the bombers that a lot of people, I think, were hoping to see. But I still think it's going to be, you know, about as good a matchup as you could possibly get without the Dodgers being in the mix. We're joined by Maury Brown. He's with the bizofbaseball.com. Maury, umpires have taken center stage in these playoffs so far. Some obvious calls being blown. We're now hearing that there may be replay, not this year, but next year. Talk to us about that and, and the pressure the umpires are under right now. Well, I just look. It's some of them have been just simply inexcusable. I mean, this is more than you know a bang bang play. You know, there have been a couple of those that have been, I think, amplified from some just horrendously bad calls. Whether it was Phil Cousy's call during the Twins Yankees series, or whether it was McClendon's call uh, just the other night, you know, that we had not one but two calls at third base. I just, you know, it's it's one of those things to where. It's the last thing that baseball needs. And, look, I know Bud Selig is saying, look, you know, we don't need to have replay because it's going to slow down the pace of the game. Well, I often wonder, you know, I mean, we have arguments from the managers, which slows down the pace of the game. It's the only game, you know, that doesn't sit on a clock. It, it, it is one of those things to where baseball, I think, needs to get, you know, with the 21st century on this. You don't need to use it for balls and strikes at the plate. But for some of these egregious situations that we're seeing, and, look, these were bad. These weren't just, you know, a little bit bad. They were horrendous. There needs to be something about it. And one of the other things I advocate, they need to have a really good, solid grading system. You know, in the NBA, we have a solid grading system for the referees there. And I think that, you know, the, the uh, Union for the Empires need to, to get with that program and really start to consider that. All right, I have an idea. You know in tennis now how with the serves they can track them and tell you if they're in or out? Now we see all these guys messing up the calls on the foul ball line. Let's get that technology and implement it. And I, I don't know if that could happen or not, but well, just throwing that out there. I mean, that's the thing that I, I've more or less been advocating. Look, you don't need to do this, you know, in one big fell swoop. I think Bud Sealy would have a heart attack on that. But, I mean, look, for boundary calls or maybe even some of these plays at the bags like we saw with these tags, you know, whether you had two guys standing at third base, you know, you had Robinson Cano. And it was so obvious. Had, they were both and out. Pasada, and he was right there. And, I mean, he, you know, McLennan was – has basically said that he missed the call. You know, he, he's come out and said he missed that call. Um, you know, it is one of those things to where, in one of those cases, you know, the manager could run out and say, look, you know, I want to challenge this, and you could go to it. I mean, you'd want to limit the number of these, but, you know, let's get the call right, and let's not be having conversations like you and I are having on the air right now. Instead of talking about compelling baseball, here we are talking about, you know, the foibles of the game due to this human element that could be, you know, rectified. Well, and it looks like one of the ways they're going to try and fix this in the short term is that all of the umpires that are going to be working the World Series are experienced, have worked 
the World Series before. They're not bringing in anyone new, which had been their tradition for the last several years, trying to reward some of the newer umpires, right? Yeah, and it's one of those things to where, you know, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, the guys that are calling these games right now, they're all veterans. I mean, if you look at how many years these guys have, you know, postseason experience, it's just, it's kind of inexcusable. It's one of those things to where, look, when they're standing there, they probably see it, and we have the advantage of having instant replay and super slow motion and seeing it from, you know, numerous angles. That's the advantage that the fan and the viewers have. The disadvantage for the umpires is, is that they're just seeing it right there. They get paid to make those decisions. That's why they're there in the first place. But, look, I mean, I think you do need to consider it. This is why the NFL, I think, gets a, a pass. The NFL, you know, they, you would sit there, Joe Brown, who's the VP of communications for the NFL, said when, they, when we had the situation with Phil Cousy, said, well, look, you know, look how great our referees are. Well, that's not really the case, I don't think. I think what we really have is you've had instant replay keeping the referees out of the discussion. And I think that baseball needs to get with that. It just removes that element. You get on with the game. And the managers and everybody else, the GMs, all voted in favor of this for, and for the most part. It's basically Bud Seeley that's standing in the way at this time. Maury, there might not be a more interesting story this week or heading into the offseason in Major League Baseball than the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers eliminated for the second year in a row in the NLCS by the Phillies. And now we see that it looks like the McCourts, Frank and Jamie, are headed for a divorce. And word leaked late this week that Frank has fired Jamie, who was one of the higher-ups in the team, the highest-ranking female in Major League Baseball. Is this going to be just a, a ugly mess? Uh, yeah, I don't see how it couldn't be. You know, it is one of those things. Look, it doesn't matter whether you work in Major League Baseball, you work at McDonald's, wherever you work. Whenever there is strife at the top, um, it, it creates all kinds of atrophy, and basically everybody is frozen trying to figure it out. I mean, people are trying to figure out if they're going to have jobs. There's worry about whether the, you know, the organization itself will have to be sold. You know, Ned Coletti is going to say it's business as usual, but look, when you've got something like this going on at the top, it just creates all kinds of pressure and problems all throughout the organization in the front office. And I, I can't see how that won't, you know, impact the club. The club has been except, done exceptionally well. I mean, they've done, you know, well in the playoffs, you know, irrespective of the fact that they haven't made it to the World Series, they've been successful at the gate. They were the highest attended team in the league this year. They've done a lot of work in the community. They've been very creative from a marketing standpoint, whether you had your Manny Wood situation, what have you. They've done really well. Those kind of things, I think, suddenly get you know shoved to the back as you've got this situation, this power play that's going on. And it wouldn't surprise me, given the fact that you know Jamie has already said, "Look, well, I'm going to have this you know brought up in court." The reasoning for her being fired seems to be tired of their marriage, and so. That seems on tenuous grounds from a legal perspective. Um, it, it's just going to get messy, and I don't see it getting any better um, anytime soon. Well, and as we saw with the Padres, their owner went through a divorce and ended up having to sell the team. So now you wonder, you know, California is a, a 50-50 state. So mm-hmm. do both Jamie and Frank have 50-50 ownership of the Dodgers, and if so, if one can't buy the other one out, which was the case with the Padres, are you looking at a situation where they've got to sell the team? Yeah, and this is a, you know this is why I say it's going to get messy. You know, there's been talk that Jamie's already lining up people to purchase the team, which of course Frank isn't going to allow. He doesn't want to have that. I'm hearing you know rumors that his lawyer is saying that unequivocally 
he was giving ownership of the team, hence the firing today. I mean, it, it's going to play itself out in a courtroom. That's the only, you know, the logical extension of this isn't just the separation and divorce of the two. It's the fact of who has rights to the team. And this has got to give Bud Selig just major heartburn. And this is the last thing they need to have in a cornerstone storied franchise like the Dodgers. So, I mean, it, it's very possible with the common law state like you have, you know, a community property state like California is, that you're going to have a situation exactly like we saw in San Diego. Neither side is going to want to give in. And what eventually winds up happening is that the, the franchise might have to be sold. I mean, that's certainly a, a very real possibility at this time, I think. We know Manny Ramirez is going to be back unless he's the, the dumbest person who ever walked the face of this earth. Why would you walk out on a $25 million option in this economy, especially with the way he performed this year and the, the steroid uh, allegations and everything that he had? But what's the future for Ned Coletti and for Joe Torre? Well, Ned Coletti was just given an extension, and the interesting thing about it was the Dodgers didn't release – there has been no details as to what – how long the contract was. I mean, look, it, very, very rare is it that you hear about the dollar amounts with general managers. You know, it's a highly tell, a tightly held secret, you know, within the organizations. But normally there's, you know, idea of how long it is. They simply said that it was a, a long-term deal, and as Ned said, um, I plan on being with the Dodgers for a very long time. Um, Joe Torre's situation is a bit different. Um, Peter Gammon said, you know, it's been pretty well circulated that he said it was, you know, hell on earth basically working there for Joe, which he immediately shot back and said, no, that's really not the case. But you get the impression that when his contract's up in 2010 that he's going to probably leave the organization and maybe retire. I don't know. But, you know, look, there's been talk that this situation that's been going on with Frank and Jamie McCourt has been going on for some time, that there's been very public arguments and that, I think, has really trickled down throughout the organization like we were talking about. So I think that Coletti's made a deal to stay there for, you know, however long a long-term deal is. Joe Torre is a kind of an open-ended thing right now, um, you know, past 2010. Maury, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us. How can people find you on Twitter because you are a prolific Twitterer? Well, you can find me on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash bizballmory. That's B-I-Z-B. A-L-L Maury, and uh, they can always find it at bizabaseball.com. Terrific. Maury, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, enjoy the World Series. Hey, thanks a lot. Have me anytime. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's. 
the best steak anywhere, and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business well, Radio. in the almost six-year history of Sports Business Radio, I can count on one hand the number of times we've actually had a guest in studio. We usually talk to people on the phone, but we're lucky enough this week to be joined in studio by Chris Mike. He's the general manager of sports marketing for Rocket XL. Chris and I are old friends. Got to know Chris when he worked at Nike Golf. Chris, thanks for coming in on Sports Business Radio this week. Well, thanks for having me. I, I was telling the, the guys earlier, I just wanted to see where the magic happens. I mean, this <laughs> is the, the epicenter of Hopefully sports you're not business. disappointed. No, it's, it's quite impressive, actually. Wow, well, thank you. So let's talk about what you do. I mean, you're working for an agency that's basically taking uh, social media and marketing and marrying that to different brands. For our audience out there, explain kind of what you're doing. Sure. Um, well, you know, Brian, you've covered it on the show a number of times. There's been a huge shift in media, a paradigm shift. And social media um, has come on the scene in the last few years and really, really made an impact in the way brands are connecting uh, with customers, in the way sports personalities are connecting with their fans. And so Rocket um, is an agency that just focuses on social media. That's all they do. And uh, I've set up a group within the agency that exists to help brands negotiate the intersection of the sports world and the social media world. And that can be a sports brand, a team, uh, a brand that lives in the sports space, or it can be uh, a brand outside of sports who wants to be active within the sports space. Now, you've worked at Nike Golf, EA Sports, Converse, ESPN. You've worked at a lot of different places. Have you had the opportunity to take any of those brands and marry them with anyone and use your connections from the past? Well, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've done work for, we're doing work for EA Sports right now. We've done work for Nike. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of opportunity, I think, in, in finding those brands uh, that I've worked with in the past that, that want to engage and get smarter in this space because this is relatively new. I mean, even though we've been doing it since 2002, um, it's only really been something that people discuss over the last year or two, Right. I mean, I'm going to use myself as an example. I'm 40 years old, and at the beginning of this year in January, for months and months, Bobby Corser, our producer, and Nathan Roach, the co-host of this show, younger guys, they've been bugging me. you got to get on Twitter. you got to get on Facebook. And I'm like, you know what? I'm too old. i got a lot of stuff going on. I don't have time for this stuff. You know, I'm trying to keep up with my blog and trying to host this show. And what good is it going to do me? Well— they convinced me finally in January to start, and I'll tell you what, it's been amazing to see how viral things are, how people can communicate with us via Facebook, and how people can communicate with us and you know download our show and things like that via Twitter. So it's been, you know, I'm a case study, and it's been a pretty interesting case study for me to see this year the growth of our show on Twitter and Facebook. Absolutely. I think, you know... The world has has changed. Self-publishing. I mean, you mentioned your blog. I mean, blogger outreach is a lot of what we do. And I bet you didn't know, but you are one of 200 million blogs out there. So um, anybody can now become a media source. Anybody can be a source for news uh, through the blog platform. So, you know, I think that it's, it's important to recognize that that is impacting the way people communicate and the way brands connect with consumers. And in the way, in your case, you connect with listeners. 
And what you don't want to do is say, this is the only way you can listen. You want to provide options and let them listen the way they choose to listen, whether that's a podcast, whether that's reading through your blog, whether that's through the radio. We're joined in studio by Chris Mike. He's the general manager of sports marketing for Rocket XL. Is there social media etiquette? In other words, if you're going to one of your clients and you're saying, this is the number of times you should post a tweet per day, this is the number of times you should post something on Facebook per day, do you instruct your clients to uh, abide by any kind of a social media etiquette? Uh, sure. You know, I, I think the most important thing is transparency. Um, that's probably the number one rule of social media. It's it's not necessarily um, about uh, marketing a product or service. It's it's about um, allowing your 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 consumers, your fans, to uh, get an inside look at the brand and at the organization, and be transparent. Um, you know, share, listen, listen is a listening is actually a really big component of of a good social media strategy because. Um, that's when you start to cultivate that fan base is when you allow them the opportunity to, to adopt and be a part of the brand and then spread the news for you. What did you think about ESPN coming out a month and a half ago, two months ago, and basically saying to their talent, look, we're going to put guidelines on what you can tweet and what you can't tweet. We want to regulate that. We want to kind of reel you in a little bit. It's not just a, a free-for-all. I actually said on the show I was disappointed because – there were several personalities from ESPN that I thought did a great job at tweeting, and I felt like I knew them a little bit more. I got an insight that I maybe didn't get in their stories. Behind the scenes look like you were alluding yep. to a moment ago, and I was a little disappointed when that was taken away. I think, I think it was a mistake. Um, I understand the, the need to control content and to, um, you know, for, from a major news source like that to sort of understand how that, how that news gets out. Uh, but at the same time, it, it, it violates sort of the free and openness of social media. You don't want to keep things in. You want to let things out, right? That's the whole purpose. And I think ultimately it's going to hurt the ESPN brand because um, the brand is, is a great brand. And there's nothing to sort of hold back. You allow them to actually go out and allow consumers to interact. And, and that's where you get stronger. Which athletes, celebrities, or companies do you think – do a good job of tweeting or utilizing social media? Uh, well, you know, how can you, you know, say anything against Chad Ochocinco, a favorite target of, of right. the shows here? But, you know, he, you know there, there are folks, uh, in the, even in the golf space, you've got a guy like Stuart Sink. I mean, Stuart Sink, before the British Open, was not a very well-known golfer. If you were in the industry, you knew who he was. Um, but he's been able to amass a, a huge following. I think he's got over a million followers, um, yeah, right? Yeah, and he, he does a fantastic job. So I think what you're finding is that athletes are able to really uh, create a connection with their fans. And that's where social media is so important and so effective for athletes is because they let fans inside. They give them access to things that they had, nor, you know, had never had before. So um, that's a really powerful medium. So you have all sorts of athletes from Shaquille O'Neal, who really was a pioneer in creating that engagement, um, to Chad, to Stuart Sink, and and then there are a number of brands that do do it well as uh, as well. A, a brand like Whole Foods, not necessarily in the sports space, but is very active in social media. Brands like Starbucks, very active in social media. Yeah, Alaska Airlines, JetBlue. There's some airlines that I think have done a good yeah. job utilizing social media. Going back to Shaq for a moment, uh, I saw some figures released this week, and Shaq has more followers than anyone in the NBA, over two million. 
His next closest competitor is Dwight Howard at a million. So he's got twice as many followers as his next nearest competitor. I thought that was interesting. But the NFL and the NBA have come out with basically social media guidelines telling you when you can tweet and when you can't tweet. We remember last year Charlie Villanueva, who was playing for the Bucks. Now he's playing for the Pistons, tweeted during a game, and uh, that was frowned upon by Bucks management. What are your thoughts on these guidelines, and do you think we're going too far? Do you think it does need to be reeled in so there are some guidelines in place to kind of give people boundaries for when they can present social media and when they can't? You know, I, I think that um, I'm not in the position of a league to say that this is when you can tweet, when you can't, when you can engage in social media, when you can't. I would say as a fan, mm-hmm. I don't want any guidelines. That's the beauty of, 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 the, of the medium is that you have that connection at all times, 24-7. And, you know, you don't want to see those guidelines. Um, but I can understand how you don't, as a coach, as a, as a league, you don't want your players sitting on their bench focused on something other than, than the game, than the product that they're supposed to be supplying, right? Um, so I, I think it's um, it's probably necessary. Um, unfortunately for the rest of us, it's, you know, you'd wish to have more. We're joined by Chris Mike. He's general manager of sports marketing for Rocket XL. Chris, there have been some interesting, uh, let's say, crisis situations played out on Twitter. Uh, one that's non-sports that happened just in the last week is with, I believe, is it John McCain's daughter, Megan. So she's sitting at home. She's reading a book. She posts a picture of herself on the book or on Twitter wearing a a low-cut outfit, and she has 60,000 followers, and then she's surprised the next morning when she wakes up, and this thing has spread throughout the Internet. CNN's talking about it. Do you think there are people out there? I mean, I do media training for a living. And one of the things I tell people is when you're posting something on Facebook, when you're posting something on Twitter, it's basically like me doing this show right now. You are in front of a live microphone. And if you think that you can just post something and it's just between you and your friends and no one's going to hear about it, you're making a big mistake. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, in the in the world of self-publishing, you have to be absolutely sh- certain that what you are uh, either writing or uploading is content that you don't mind being seen by everybody. And I think that's a great example. Um, you know, one upload, one click of a mouse, and, and literally anybody can see it. So the FTC came out with some blogging guidelines recently. We talked about them on the show, I think it was last week. How does that affect your world and your business and the companies that you're advising? Well, uh, blog outreach is is a is a big part of what we do, um, and as I mentioned, you know I think with 200 million blogs out there, it's become it's part of this whole paradigm shift in media. And I think what's important is that the FTC realizes that social media marketing is impacts the way consumers think about products. It's a viable, very powerful medium now, and so they've created this hundred page document that sort of details out. And when you boil it all down, what they're asking for is really clear and transparent disclosure. They want to know, they believe consumers need to know if there's a relationship between the blogger who has impact and, ha- and their conversations and, and what they write carries weight, um, whether they have relationships with the brands that they talk about. Um, so a perfect example, you know, you, you have a blog. If somebody wrote a book about uh, how to succeed in sports marketing, they said, hey, Brian, I would like you to review this on your blog. 
Um, and in exchange, you know, we'll go out to New York and you can be part of the book signing. And I don't care what you write, but, you know, you can come out and be part of our book signing. Um, it is now your responsibility to say, hey, I'm reviewing this book. Right. But also you need to know that um, I'm going to be going to New York with the author as part of a book signing. Uh, so any really any exchange of what they call um, whether it's sponsored in any form that needs to be disclosed. Now, is this applicable to Twitter and Facebook as well, or is it just for blogs? Uh, it's applicable to any form of self, self-publishing. self uh, Primarily, it's going to exist in the blog space. Um, but for athletes, as an example, if Chad Ochocinco says, uh, you know, I'm taking a new vitamin supplement and I've never felt better, you are going to never feel better if you try this. Okay? Chad is not the, the person that needs to worry about what he says. It's the, the manufacturer of the product. Um, especially if that person, that that product or that brand is paying Chad for that endorsement, or if, if there's any sort of in-kind um, goods, you know, free product, anything shared. Chris, interesting conversation, and we'll have to have you on again because I'm sure we could carry this conversation on for quite some time, especially as all the rules continue to evolve and and change. Where can people find out more information about Rocket XL? Do you have a website? Uh, yes, RocketXL.com. And I assume you guys are tweeting and you have a Facebook page. Absolutely, yep. What's the Twitter handle for our well, audience out there? Mine is C underscore Mike at, at Twitter. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming in studio and joining us this week. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back with our final segment. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, this is an interesting story to end the show on. A fight over the shoes Michael Jordan's son will wear at the University of Central Florida could cost the school as much as $3 million. He better be good. Freshman guard Marcus Jordan is refusing to wear shoes made by Adidas, the brand the university has a contract with for all its sports. They have a $3 million six-year contract with Adidas that requires coaches and athletes to use the company's apparel and equipment. But the problem is Marcus Jordan wants to wear Michael Jordan's shoes, the Air Jordans. What do you do? Bobby, what do you do in this situation? Because I can see where Marcus Jordan's coming from. He wants to be loyal to his family and to his father. 
but you're going to a school that has a $3 million contract. That's a lot of money, especially for University of Central Florida to wear Adidas. Now, I know there are discussions that are ongoing between Adidas and the school that maybe they can make an exception for Marcus, but boy, uh, it's just interesting to me because I used to do work with Nike, and I know there are a lot of kids, believe it or not, that actually choose their school based on what kind of shoe and apparel deal there is. He better be really, really good, and he better be worth the $3 because if they end up losing the contract, Nike better be there to step in real quick and provide some extra cash. Now, let me say this. This story's gotten a lot of publicity this week. So if you're Adidas... If you walk away from this deal, I almost think you walk away with egg on your face. You've gotten a lot of value added in publicity. And if they go ahead and say something like, well, okay, this is a special circumstance for this one player since it is the son of Michael Jordan. We'll let him wear those shoes. I think they look like heroes. And, again, they've gotten a lot of publicity. So that's the way I would play this if I were them. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. So I guess we'll see how it plays out. But like you said, Marcus Jordan better be pretty darn good because uh, this $3 million battle, uh, it's getting a lot of play, and and we'll see how it turns out. All right, something else we'll be keeping our eyes on this week is the Dodgers situation, like we talked about with Maury Brown. That was definitely interesting, and uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. All right, lots of thank yous on the show this week. Chris Mike, our friend from Rocket XL. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. I want to thank our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page, or on iTunes, look for us under Business News, or just type in Sports Business Radio. It'll come up in the search. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at SB Radio. I'm Brian Berger for the rest of our staff. Have a great week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.